Christian, he's given you music as a gift. Don't misuse the gift. It's not just for you, it's for the people around you. And it's ultimately a way to return glory to the one who created it. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series titled The Holy Spirit's Influence. How do you know if you have a genuine love for God-centered music? Music that expresses the words of the Scripture back to God in praise. Well, as we discovered last time, music that glorifies God is a major priority for the Spirit-filled Christian. It's intended to encourage believers to lift their hearts to God in praise, thanksgiving, and petition. And as you'll learn today, there are five profound insights into the role of godly music in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And Tom, Are there criteria believers can use to determine the type of music they should allow to influence their life? You know, that's really what we're going to talk about today. We're going to investigate that very question. I think if I could summarize it, it would be like this. And that is ultimately, like everything else in our lives as believers, our approach to music and even the type of music that that we use and that we use as the worship of God ultimately is informed by the Scripture. And I would encourage you to think about that. Whatever it is you're doing in life, ultimately our our guidepost, that which directs us, has to be the Scripture and the Scripture alone. That's why we're looking so closely at this issue of music. Music is a powerful, powerful gift of God, and we need to make sure we use it appropriately and in keeping with His revealed Word. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's open our Bibles now and join Tom Pennington with today's message on The Word Unleashed. Story is about an old farmer who lived out in the country, but who one particular weekend had to be in the big city on business. So he decided that while he was there, he would attend the big city church. And he did attend, and when he got home, his wife asked him, she said, so, you know, what was it like? She said, he said, well, you know, it was, it was good overall. He said, but there was one thing they did that was different. They sang praise choruses instead of hymns. His wife said, praise choruses? What exactly are praise choruses? He said, well, they're sort of like hymns, only they're different. She said, well, what's the difference? He said, well, it's, it's kind of like this. He said, let's say that our cows got loose and were in the corn. And I wanted to describe to you in a praise chorus what had happened. It would go something like this. Martha, Martha, Martha. Oh, Martha, Martha, Martha. The cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, the cows, cows, cows are in the corn. Are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, the corn, corn, corn. And he said, and then if I were to repeat that two or three times, well, that would be a praise chorus. (laughs) But if on the other hand, you know, I wanted to tell you that same story and more like a hymn, this is what I would say to you. O Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth. Turn thou thy whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous, inimitable, glorious truth. 
For the way of the animals, who can explain? <laughs> there in their heads is no shadow of sense. Hearkenest they in God's Son are His reign, unless from the mild tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, those cows in glad bovine rebellious delight have broke free their shackles, their warm pens eschewed, then goaded by minions of darkness and night, they all my mild chili wax wheat corn have chewed. So look to that bright shining day by and by where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn, where no vicious animal makes my soul cry, and I no longer see those foul cows in the corn. The farmer said, you know, that's a hymn. And then if I would only sing verses one, three, and four and change keys before the last verse, that's a hymn. Well, that's a pretty serious oversimplification of the different styles of music. But the farmer had learned this, that although there may be distinct styles of worship music, each with its own eccentricities, whether the country or the big city church, whether hymns or praise choruses, Wherever they are, God's people will sing to their God. It's part of who we are. It's part of our spiritual DNA. It's an expression of the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. That's really what Paul wanted the Ephesian church to understand. It's this very issue of music and the different styles of music that he addresses in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now, just to remind you again of the context, the theme of this long section that begins in chapter 5, verse 15, and runs through chapter 6, verse 9, is that if we're going to walk worthy of our calling, something he's commanded us to do, then we must walk in biblical wisdom. Verse 15, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Verses 15 to 18 explain how There are several components of a life of biblical wisdom. And the last one of those components, the one to which Paul was really driving and building, is in verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. If you want to walk a life of biblical wisdom, then you must be filled with Christ's Spirit. We learn that being filled by the Spirit means that the Spirit fills us with the Word of God so that it permeates, directs, and controls our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions. Now, in verse 19, there's a turn in Paul's thinking. He leaves the command to pursue biblical wisdom and how to do that, being dominated under the influence of the Spirit by the Word, and he begins to show us the consequences, our results, of walking in biblical wisdom under the influence of the Spirit. Just to remind you, chapter five, verses 15 to 18, we have the command to walk in biblical wisdom. Chapter five, verse 19, all the way down through chapter six, verse nine, we have the consequences of walking in biblical wisdom. Being filled by the Spirit with the Word of God produces consequences. It produces real change in our lives. Just as there are effects of being under the influence of alcohol, there are effects of being under the influence of the Spirit, and those effects are equally clear. Now, Paul tells us what the primary effects of being under the Spirit's influence are in verses 19 to 21. There are three primary consequences of being under the influence of the Spirit. These are true in every life, whether you're a wife, a husband, 
a parent or a child, a slave or a master, these things will be there if you're under the influence of the Spirit. Let me read it for you. Let's get a running start beginning at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That is one sentence in the Greek text. The main verb of the sentence is in verse 18, be filled, be filled by the Spirit. Verses 19 to 21, there are five participles that modify that main verb to be filled. Note them in verse 19, speaking, singing, making melody. In verse 20, giving thanks. And in verse 21, you'll notice the marginal note. It's translated in our New American as and be subject. Literally, it's being subject. There's the fifth participle. Now, those five participles are explaining the primary results or consequences when a person is filled by the Spirit with the Word. They're always present when a person is allowing the Holy Spirit to fill them with the Word. Now, there are five participles, but there are really only three primary consequences. First of all, in verse 19, there is a love for God-centered music. In verse 20, there is a pattern of thankfulness. And in verse 21, there is a heart of submission to duly constituted authority. So, a love for God-centered music, a pattern of thankfulness, and a heart of submission. Where the Spirit's influence through the Word is truly present, these will be present. Now understand that these are the inevitable results of being under the influence of the Spirit. You can't help it. If you're under the influence of the Spirit, controlled by the Word of God, these things will begin to demonstrate themselves in your life. But these things are also a kind of goal or pattern. They, they show us God's expectations of all Christians. So on the one hand, where the Word is filling the heart by the Spirit's work, these will be inevitable. At the same time, these three become goals that all of us should pursue. It's kind of like if you suspect that there's a problem with your blood chemistry, your cholesterol is elevated, and you go to have your blood cholesterol checked. And you find out, you take the diagnostic test, the blood test, and you find that your cholesterol is high. That is an inevitable result of both your genetic makeup and probably your lifestyle, the foods you're eating, lack of exercise, etc. That's the diagnostic. But you don't simply ignore that consequence. Instead, you begin to make changes in your life to increase your good cholesterol and to decrease the bad. That's how it is with these consequences here in Ephesians 5. On the one hand, they're like the test results of being filled by the Spirit. If you're filled by the Spirit, these markers will be in your spiritual bloodstream. On the other hand, these test results should encourage us to continue to make changes in our lives. So then we need to look at these things on both sides. We need to see them as a spiritual diagnostic, and at the same time, we need to promote and encourage these things in our hearts as well. Now, the first primary result or consequence of being filled by the Spirit with the Word is a love for God-centered music. Let's look at verse 19 speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. 
we have received an amazing gift, the gift of music. In fact, we are hardwired for music. Isabel Peretz of the University of Montreal was quoted in Newsweek as saying this, the human brain seems to be specialized for music. Why is that? Well, the obvious explanation for this reality is because we are made in the image of God. The reason you hum, the reason you sing, is a reflection of the person of God. God, at this moment and throughout eternity, is constantly surrounded by music. God himself sings, and so it is an expression of who he is. Christians, under the influence of the Word and the Spirit, love music, especially music that focuses on God. They love to sing His praises. When the Spirit fills us with the Word, our souls just break out into song that celebrate our great God. You know, it's interesting, at every point in church history when true revival has come, it has come through a recovery of the powerful preaching of the Word of God. And fresh on the heels of that recovery of the word of God, in its wake, a fresh breeze of new God-honoring music has always swept across the church. Why is that? Because where there is an authentic work of the Spirit of God, there will always be music. Because it's who God is. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, you have, in essence, a kind of textbook on the role of music in the life of a spirit-filled believer as well as a spirit-filled church. It's a really an amazing verse. The Spirit has packed into this brief verse five insights into the role of music in the life of a Christian. Five profound insights. Look at verse 19 again. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. The first insight that we see in these words is the purpose of music in the Christian's life. The purpose of music in the Christian's life. And there are two purposes. First of all, there is a horizontal purpose. And frankly, this one's surprising. But notice how verse 19 begins. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why does Paul say that our music, in our music, we are speaking to one another? What is that about? Why do we speak to one another in our music? Well, keep your finger there, but turn over to the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, because he fleshes this out a little more in this passage. Colossians 3, verse 16. The verse begins with the counterpart to being filled by the Spirit, which is, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And then the first consequence here, just as in Ephesians, is music. Notice what he says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, notice here that he fleshes out the one comment in, in Ephesians, we're told we're to speak to one another, but we're not told what that speaking is to accomplish. Here we are, two things, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, go back to Ephesians 5. Why do we speak to one another in our music? To teach, that is, to instruct, to impart knowledge, and to admonish, that is, to warn, to exhort, to urge. Teaching is imparting the truth. 
Admonishing is persuading someone to respond to that truth. Both of these take place or should take place in our music. There is a horizontal purpose to music. Maybe you've never thought about this before. Music is not solely addressed to God, although as we'll see in a moment it is. It is also to be instructional to the people of God. It's for one another's benefit as well. It's about teaching, imparting knowledge, and then challenging someone to live on the basis of that knowledge. We did that just this morning as we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We reminded ourselves of who God is, and we called ourselves to trust Him for that reality. Regardless of whether trials come and whatever happens, we can hang on the faithfulness of God. We both instructed ourselves in the character of God, and we admonished ourselves to cling to that reality about who He is. So singing is primarily about the mind, In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, when he's talking about the worship of the early church there in Corinth. He says, understand that when you gather to worship, make sure you sing with your mind, he says. The main point is that God designed music, one of the purposes for which he designed music, is to be a teaching tool. One of the chief purposes of music in the church is to teach one another spiritual truth and admonish one another to do it. How does that happen? Let me just give you one example. You don't need to turn there, but listen to the first few verses of Psalm 95. And notice how often the psalmist is not talking to God initially. Instead, he's talking to his fellow worshipers, admonishing them, and then he begins to tell them about who God is. He instructs them. He teaches them. Listen. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Now here comes the instruction. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And then he begins to unfold the majesty of God. There is instruction and admonition. There is teaching and admonition. We speak to one another in our music. Music is a tool for mutual edification. Speak to one another. Now, this is really important for us to grasp. That means music is first and foremost a form of communication, not entertainment. It primarily serves a mental purpose, not an emotional purpose. Very practically, this means that we should choose and sing songs not primarily because of the, we like the sound of the music or the style of the music, but because of the lyrics. We should not choose music because of the way it makes us feel. We should choose music because of the way it makes us think. In fact, can I put it this way? Our worship in music will only go as high as our true understanding and knowledge of God and His Word goes deep. This means that the lyrics should be biblical. They should not be contrary to the Bible. That's pretty obvious. But in addition, they should be permeated with biblical truth. That's why the Reformers and the Puritans used to talk about singing the Bible. They didn't mean you started, you know, in Philippians 1 and sort of kept singing through. They meant that the music of the church was to be informed by, filled with the language and truth of Scripture. We sing the Bible. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 54, when he says, your statutes, God, are my songs. Another implication of the fact that Christian music is to edify and teach and admonish others 
is that our first thought when it comes to the corporate singing should not be primarily about me. Your first thought when it comes to corporate singing should not be about you, the style of music I like, the songs I like. In corporate worship, our concern should be for others, the others around us. In fact, Paul says this explicitly in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. He says, now when you assemble as a church, you sing, each one has a psalm, and he includes other things, including some of the problems there in Corinth. And he says, whatever's done when you gather like that, including the singing of psalms, do it for edification, for building up others. Now, I realize this issue of music is a very personal issue and a very emotional one. But let me just say, and I know this is true, that if you're here this morning and you personally prefer more traditional music, that's okay. But don't sit and sulk during the contemporary music. Instead, sing out so that those who do respond to contemporary music are taught and admonished with the truth that we sing together. It also means, if you're on the other side, that if you personally prefer contemporary music, you don't sort of check out and inwardly sit there and fume and complain when we're singing traditional music accompanied by an organ. Instead, you join in hoping and praying that those who love traditional music will be instructed in the truth of the lyrics, be persuaded to respond in obedience. Music in the corporate worship is not primarily about you. It's about God, as we'll see in a moment, and others. Music serves a horizontal purpose. We are to speak to one another. We are to admonish one another in our music. Music also serves a second purpose, and that is a vertical purpose. Not only a horizontal one, but a vertical purpose. Look at the second half of verse 19. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So music is others-directed for their edification, and it's God-directed for worship. Music is intended to be for God as well as for each other. That means that when we sing, music expresses our hearts to God. It expresses our praise to God, doesn't it? Psalm 66, 4 says, All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Music expresses our praise to God. It also expresses our thanksgiving to God. Colossians 3.16, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Psalm 33.2, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Music even expresses our repentance to God. Psalm 51 is a song meant to be sung with the accompaniment of musical instruments. And it is a powerful expression of repentance. Music expresses our petitions to God, the things we'd like for God to respond to and do. The Psalms are filled with examples of that. But just listen to Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And then he begins to pour out his petitions. So music then expresses our hearts to God, whether it is praise or thanksgiving or repentance or petitions, it is vertically directed. In that sense, we sing to the Lord. Ultimately though, music, whether on the horizontal level or the vertical level, all ultimately is for one great end, and that is what? To glorify God. God created music for the sole purpose of bringing him glory. 
How do I know that? Well, Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul says there in this sweeping statement, for from him, that is, God is the source of all things, and through him, that is, God sustains all things, and to him, that means God is the end of all things, the goal of all things, to him be the glory forever and ever. Ultimately, everything God created, including music, exists for one great eternal purpose, to bring Him glory. That's why there is music. It's not for our selfish use. It's a tool to help us glorify God. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his current series, The Holy Spirit's Influence. Tom will bring you part four on our next broadcast as he once again takes us to God's Word. And we do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.